So what we're going to do is we're going to look at one, just one passage this morning. And it's Mark 11, uh, verses through 27, 33. If you want to get your Bibles out and look at that. It's Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. And as you're finding that, I just want to ask a couple of questions for you. Number one, what do you think of instantly? What comes into your mind when you hear the word authority? And how do you react to someone who's an authority above you? And who is the ultimate authority? These are questions that face the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes and the, and the priests in today's story. And they were confronted head-on with these questions and trying to answer these questions. So let's read Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. It says this. It says, And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray just as we begin. Father God, we come before you now. And Lord, these men were faced with the question, what authority does Jesus have to do the things that he did? They were faced with the question, who is the ultimate authority? And they were faced with the question, if we answer that yes or no, there's a consequence, and we need to answer it. So Lord, as we wrestle through these things, I just pray that your spirit will be among us, Lord. Give us the wisdom, the insight, and the discernment. Give us hearts that are bold enough to answer this question and bold enough to face those consequences. In your name we pray, amen. Our story really begins many days ago. Jesus came into Jerusalem. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he is celebrated as a king. The people praise Jesus. They throw palm branches on the ground. They throw their jackets on the ground. And they cry out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And the Pharisees tell Jesus, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, if I tell you, if they were silent, these very stones would cry out. These Pharisees look at each other and they say, the whole world has gone after him now. The next day, Jesus goes back into Jerusalem. And as he goes into the temple, he goes in there and he sees what they're doing and they're selling in the market, in the temple themselves, and he drives them out. He upturns the tables where the things are. The things go flying. He knocks over the seats of the people who are selling pigeons in there. He doesn't allow anyone at all to come through the temple. He says, it is written that my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Jesus then heals 
the lame in the temple. And the children began to cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. You know, it's funny how children are, right? Because they just, they're just children. They just are them. So <laughs> maybe I should explain that a little bit more. So here's, <laughs> that's, right. that's a visual for you, right? They're just children. What more can I say? <laughs> but so here's what happens, right? It's the triumphal procession. They're outside. They're all screaming and yelling. The parents, the kids, they're all excited. They think it's, you know, the kingdom is come. What's of the kingdom like this? Jesus goes into the temple. He disrupts everything. And he's, he's in there, and he's like knocking over tables. He's, he's, you know, these people are selling these things. He's knocking over. There's pigeons flying. There's, you know, babies crying. There's, you know, stuff all over coins and everything else. And so the parents recognize something is going on here. And they see the chief priests and the scribes, and they see these Jewish leaders, and they know that something is going on, right? Jesus has just barged into the temple. He's disrupted everything that they even know. And so what do the parents do? The parents are completely silent. They don't say a word because they're just trying to see what happens. But the scripture says the children continue to yell. This is the same guy that their parents were so excited about yesterday. So they don't know any difference. They just see he's doing other stuff. So they're yelling, you know, Hosanna to the king. Hosanna to the son of David. And the parents, of course, don't say a thing. They just kind of watch to see what happens. But the chief priests and the scribes see it and they tell Jesus, look at what these children are doing. Stop the children. And Jesus says to him, have you never read... Out of the mouths of nursing babies, you have prepared praise. So the children recognize it, and the children are still uh, doing that. But the Pharisees do nothing to stop Jesus at that time, because they fear the crowd. The whole crowd is astonished at what's going on. They're astonished at Jesus, and they're especially astonished at his teaching. But the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the scribes are living. They are living. And they are looking for a way to destroy him. And they will stop at nothing to destroy Jesus. So evening comes. Jesus and his disciples leave the city. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders have all night to think about what just happened. And they stew over it. And the anger burns in them. And they toss and they turn all night long. And morning comes early. What do you think all the vendors are doing this morning? Do they come back? Do they wait by the door to see if Jesus is going to come there, thinking if he doesn't come, we're going in, business as usual? If he comes, we don't know what we're going to do. Yesterday, Jesus said, this house shall be a house of prayer. This morning, do you think the people are praying? Or do you think they're just there to see what's going to happen? To see if Jesus will show up? Because if he does, surely there's going to be another confrontation. If he shows up this morning, the Pharisees will try to do something. The chief priests, scribes, and the elders, they're already there, waiting. And sure enough, Here comes Jesus and his disciples. And they come into Jerusalem. And they come into the temple, the very place they were there yesterday that had caused all the chaos. As soon as they walk into the temple, the chief priests, scribes, and elders confront them. They charge over to Jesus. He's walking in, and they say, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do 
these things? Why do they ask that? Why do they confront Jesus in that way? The reason they do it is they are the authorities. This group, when they talk about scribes, chief priests, scribes, uh, Pharisees, chief priests, and scribes, that group is a representative of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the Jewish executive, legislative, and judicial councils. They are the authorities. And they're the ones who give out authority. They're the ones who decide. And they have given nothing to Jesus at all. He was not trained by Gamaliel. He didn't go to the seminary of Jerusalem. He wasn't ordained by them. Who was he to do all of these things? Who was he to come into the temple and disrupt everything? He made a huge mess of their way of life, right? Coins are falling, birds are flying, people are running everywhere, and he is acting like he has the authority to do this. And he is speaking like someone who has the authority to do this. And the worst of all, the people are listening. The people are believing. And the people are following him. Outside, right, they're yelling, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Inside, the children are yelling, Hosanna to the son of David. And every time they tell Jesus to make those people stop, he refuses. And they keep coming back to this fact that they did not give him this authority. And if they don't stop him now, in public, all will be lost. They see the writing on the wall. They know that their way of life will be lost if they don't stop him. They just had a a, uh, council a few days before. And one man stands up in front of the council and he says, what are we to do? Because this guy is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So they see Jesus. And so they come to Jesus and they demand to know where Jesus thinks that he got this authority to do this. Jesus knows their hearts. Jesus knows what they are after. And so instead of just answering the question, he engages them in this debate. This was a common thing, and it was a common form of debate back then. It had known rules. People knew what to do in this situation. One would ask a question, and the other would counter with another question. If they followed the rules of the debate, the answer would come out naturally, and it would be supported with the evidence that it needed, so that no one could argue it. So they asked the question, and Jesus counter-questions. He said, I will ask you a question, and answer me. I will tell you by what a... I will ask you a... (laughs) Let me say this again. Jesus says, I'm going to ask you a question. If you answer it, then I'll answer your question. We're going to go through and we're going, to, we're going to play that game. And Jesus didn't just arbitrarily ask him a question, but he asked him, what about the baptism of John? Who is that from? Is that from God? Or is that from man? Because Jesus knows that this is the heart of the issue. Is the authority from God or is the authority from man? Because the phrase, the baptism of John, means all of John's ministry. 
What was John's ministry? John's ministry was to point the way to the coming Messiah. He was to call the people to believe in the Messiah, to repent, to confess their sins, to be baptized. And if John's ministry is from God, then Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God. Jesus is who he says he is. So everything rests on this question. Does John's baptismal, or does John's ministry come from God or from man? So the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, they have this quick conference. They huddle together, and they try to figure out what to do. How to discuss, they discuss, how are we supposed to answer him? Because they realize that they're between this rock and this hard place, right? They are in public. And they are publicly, as the authorities, taking on Jesus. In front of all of John's disciples, in front of Jesus' disciples, in front of everyone. And if they say that John's ministry is from God, then they are publicly saying, Jesus is the true Messiah, and we should be worshiping him. But they're not. And if they say that John's ministry was his own, and it wasn't from God, then they should have taken a stand against John, and they should have stopped him. And they are afraid of the people, because they are surrounded. All of the people believe that John was a prophet. The people believe that John's ministry was from God, and wasn't from man. And if they say that now, there's going to be pandemonium. There's going to be this huge upheaval. Most likely, they'll be stoned to death on the spot. That's what they're afraid of. So what do they say? We don't know. (laughs) They say, we don't know. They are the final authority on all things religious. And they don't know if John's ministry was legitimate or not. And they're the ones who are supposed to decide whether Jesus' ministry is legitimate or not. John only preached and baptized. He didn't do miracles. And they can't even say whether that was from God or not. And here is Jesus, and he does miracle after miracle. He heals the blind so they can see. He heals the deaf so they can hear. He heals the paralyzed so they can walk. He raises the dead so they can live. And if these authorities cannot even judge John's non-miracle, talking-only ministry, How can they judge Jesus' miracle, life-giving ministry? These authorities give up the right to be authorities by not answering John's question. They have disqualified themselves. They have given up the authority, and they have done it in public. They've done it in front of John's disciples, in front of Jesus' disciples. They've done it in the temple itself. So Jesus says, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Matthew Henry so succinctly puts it, he says, They don't deserve to be told, for it is plain that they contended not for truth, but for victory. They didn't want to know the truth. They just wanted their own victory. They wanted to stop Jesus, and they will not stop until they stop him. I think they knew the answer. I think they knew what it was. 
Jesus' life and his miracles spoke to the truth, right? They were the signs that they were supposed to be looking for. They knew the scriptures, and the scriptures themselves proved that Jesus was Christ. But they didn't want to admit it. They did not want Jesus to be an authority. They wanted to be an authority. They wanted to be in control. They wanted to be the ultimate authority. But Jesus is the ultimate authority. So we have to ask ourselves this question. Why does this story matter? Why is this story in here and why is it so important? How does it pertain to us now, 2,000 years ago? Because what we're looking at is a snapshot in the life of Jesus and the life of these people 2,000 years ago. There's a bunch of reasons why it's in there and a bunch of reasons why it's important. Mark puts it in there to show that Jesus is the ultimate authority. And along with the other stories that are in there, we see that Jesus is the authority over nature, over sickness, over the spiritual world, over sin, over life, over death, and over us. The reason why this story matters so much is that we are faced with the same question that the Pharisees were faced with. Will you acknowledge Jesus' authority or not? Will you acknowledge Jesus' authority in your salvation? Will you acknowledge Jesus' authority in your daily life? Will you acknowledge Jesus as the ultimate authority? And remember this, no answer is an answer. These religious leaders thought they could simply ignore the question. We just simply won't answer. But they couldn't do it. It's either yes or it is no. Either Jesus is God and he is the final authority, or he's not. You either believe what he does what he says, who he is, or you do not. But you must make a choice. So this morning I want to talk to three different groups of people. Those who reject, those who accept, and those who have been wounded by authority in the past. Let me talk to first to the rejectors. The priest, the scribes, and the Pharisees would not submit. They rebelled against Jesus' authority. They knew who he was. They saw the miracles. They listened to the teaching. They knew the scriptures. But they rejected him. And some of you have been rejecting his authority. You have continually, knowingly, willingly disobeyed and rejected God. And you have been doing it for a long time. You've been doing it for your whole life. And deep down, you know the truth. Deep down, you know who Jesus is. Deep down, you know what will happen after you die. And it's not pretty. He says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. In other words, you will die because of your sins and you will go to hell forever without his forgiveness. But he says the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is only through Jesus Christ that your sins will be forgiven. It is only through Jesus Christ that you will be saved. If you confess your sins and you acknowledge that Jesus Christ died for you, to take away your sins, then you will live in heaven forever. But you must decide, will you accept him or 
will you reject him? And you, I say, humble yourselves before God. Acknowledge Jesus' authority over you and that you are a sinner and repent. Ask Jesus to forgive your sins. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I want to tell you those who are acceptors, the ones who have accepted Christ, who acknowledge Jesus' authority in their lives for eternal matters, for heaven and for hell. I ask you this, do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as the authority in your day-to-day living? Do you submit to God in all areas of your life? Or do you submit to Christ only in things that are easy to submit to? Do you only submit to Christ to things that you're willing to give up and you don't mind if he takes control of that area? And what about those areas that you just plain want to hang on to? Those areas where you just don't want to give up? Do you still hold on to that one and cherish sin that you're not willing to give up? Is that area of your life where you just haven't given it up and you still want to be in control of that area? Do you still want to be the final authority in that one little area? So, yeah, Christ is the authority for life and death, and I know when I die I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure about this area. I don't think I'm quite ready to give it up to you right now. Listen, Jesus is the ultimate authority. God will not be mocked. What you sow is what you reap. You only have one choice as well, and that's to submit to Jesus' authority or to rebel against Jesus' authority. Now, <laughs> it sounds like I'm not on everyone, right? Like no one can do anything right. The wrong people are doing it wrong. The right people are doing it wrong. Everyone else is doing it wrong. And I'm not trying to say that because I realize how difficult this is, right? It is so hard to submit to Christ in every area. And oftentimes we don't even know how to submit to Christ in every area. And it's hard to die to ourselves. And it's hard to die to our passions and the things that we like and the things that we long for. And with us, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Ask for his help. Ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. It is by the power of the Spirit that you put to deed the deaths of the flesh. It is by the Spirit that you will live. And remember 1 John 1.9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's a third group that I want to talk to you. And that's those who have been wounded in the past. Those who have been wounded by the authorities that are in our lives. Some of us have a real hard time with authority. And with the concept of someone else being an authority. And even the word authority brings up this emotional response in you. Just hearing the word or thinking of the concept, there's just this emotional response that warms up. I'm not talking about ones who have rejected God's authority. 
I'm talking to you who have a fear of authority or a hatred of authority because of your past. You've been abused by someone in authority. Or you've been rejected by someone in authority. Someone has abused their authority in such a way that it has affected you. And now you cringe at the thought of someone being in authority. As soon as someone says anything to you, you instantly feel like that little kid who's called into the principal's office. And authority becomes this overwhelming, overbearing thing that is to be feared. Or what happens is that you instantly rebel at authority. As soon as someone says anything to you or tells you something, you fight back. You dig in your heels and you will not budge. If necessary, you quit. You take your ball and you go home. And it doesn't matter who the authority is. It doesn't matter where this authority is. But as soon as that authority comes up, you instantly rise up. You can, just, you can just feel that inside. You put up your shield. You put on the gloves. You're just ready to fight. It's not necessarily that you want to rebel or that you want to reject, but it's just the way that you react. And oftentimes you want to submit and you want to obey and you want to do what's right, but you just, you just seem to buck up. You just seem to rebel. It just seems to happen so suddenly. You don't even know how to lower your guard. You don't even know how to not rise up and rebel. And maybe even you go back afterwards and you do what is right and you do what you're supposed to do. But that initial reaction is the same. It's because of the way you learned authority. I believe that this is why God speaks so clearly to fathers about provoking their children. In Ephesians, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. In Colossians, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. If fathers continually provoke their child throughout their entire childhood, they will grow up and they'll be men and women who are angry. Or they'll grow up to be men and women who are discouraged and fearful. And it's going to be so hard for them to submit to God's authority because they've lived under this twisted authority. I was reading an article not too long ago, and it was about this man. And uh, he was saying, he was talking about his father, and he said, about every other month, maybe once every two months or so, he said, my dad would blow up at me, and he would yell, and there would be this rage, and there would just be this temper. And then he'd realize it, and he would say, in his own way, he was sorry. And then he would hear nothing from his father. For the next two months, the father would pretty much just ignore him and just go on his way. Two months later, the same cycle would happen. So the only thing this guy ever heard was when his father was angry or upset or mad or disappointed or disgusted with him. The other two months, nothing. Just silence. So he only heard one thing from his father. If you are wounded, understand this. God understands. God understands that you have a hard time submitting to authority. 
Maybe your father was like that, Father, and you knew no love. God loves you. And God does not despise you because you have a hard time submitting to authority. And Jesus' heart goes out to you. The reason he came to this earth was to suffer and to die for you. The reason he came to the earth and died and suffered this way was to show you the, the amount of his love, the length and the breadth of his love. Because he could have just stayed in heaven and said, I love you and I forgive you. But instead he came down to earth and he suffered. He was rejected by authority. He was falsely accused. He was the one who stood up in authority and said, who gave you the right to do what you're doing? Who gave you the right to do this? And this is how he decided to show his love for you. And ultimately, he died showing his love of you. So God understands. God still calls you to repent of your hard heart. And God promises you a new heart as well. So, what does God actually call us to do in this submitting to authority? What does he do? He calls us to do the greatest commandment. He calls us to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what he calls us to do. And love is shown in obeying him. Love is shown to him in his submitting to authority. And this love is also shown in, sh- in submitting to authorities that God has placed into your life. Because he has placed them in your life. For some of us, this will be the single hardest thing that we do in our lives. For some of us, this will be the biggest struggle. For some of us, it will be the biggest temptation. It will be the sin that we see over and over that keeps rising up. Why? Because God says, love me and love others. That's the greatest command of them all. What will Satan do? Anything he can to stop you from loving God and to love others. God has put these people in authority in your life. And when you're rebelling and when you're fighting and when you're against them, you cannot love them at the same time. And if you're talking to other people and you're gossiping, about other people and you're destroying this authority in other people's lives as well, you're causing them to sin. And you're causing them to rebel against authority as well. And you're causing them to not love God and to not love others. Satan will try. He tries all of us, right? We all have this point at which we're most likely, you know, to you know, to go off. And he finds it always. But our submitting to his authority, our obeying him, is the way that we love him. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And how wonderful it is to see, right, when a parent tells a child to do something, and the child obeys it out of love, not out of fear or anything else, but just out of love. It's one of the greatest things to see. So the next question How do we learn to submit if it doesn't come natural? For some of us, submission does not come natural at all. God calls us to do it. How do we learn to do it if it doesn't come natural? One of the ways to learn to submit to God's authority is to learn to submit to the authority that he puts into our lives, right? God has placed people in our lives. There's no authority that God did not put in your life that isn't meant to be there. 
And that includes the totally incompetent boss that you have. <laughs> right? Because sometimes it feels like, it's like, who put this guy here? You know, it's like anybody who has eyes would have said, no, this guy should have never been promoted. And there's that principle in business, I forgot what it is, but it says you're, which one is it? Peter's principle, will you rise to the first level of incompetence? In other words, you're doing good, let's promote him. He's doing good, let's promote him. He's doing good, let's promote him. He's doing horrible. Well, we can't promote him. <laughs> so there you sit for the rest of your career <laughs> with these people underneath you trying to submit to that authority. But you know what? God has put that person in authority. And God wants you to learn to obey him by learning to obey that authority. And so we need to obey the authority. The only time that we don't submit to their authority is when they're su- to submit to them would be sinning to God. That's when we have to draw the line and say, I cannot do that. But otherwise, we're to submit to the authorities that are in our lives. But we need practice doing this because it doesn't come easy. We need to realize that we are consciously, intentionally going to obey those authorities that are in front of us. A friend, I had a friend who uh, had marriage problems and marriage was falling apart they decided to go see a marriage counselor so the marriage counselor is with them and he observes the way they interact with with a while and he gives them this homework assignment plus a lack of a better word but he says you must say please and thank you this is he's talking to my friend he said you must say please and thank you to your wife that was the homework assignment what he had to do he said it came so unnatural and he felt like a total hypocrite for saying it because he was always angry, and he didn't feel thankful, and he didn't feel like saying please, and he didn't feel like it at all, but he did it anyway. He said please, and he said thank you, and eventually it became a way of life, and now they always say please, and they always say thank you, and they're kind, and they're courteous to each other, and they're respectful to each other. He said learning to say please and thank you was the biggest thing that happened towards saving their marriage. But they had to learn it. It did not come natural. And that's the way it's going to be with us when it comes to authority. Lots of times we have to learn how to do it. It doesn't come natural, but we're supposed to do it. And when we're learning how to do this um, authority thing, also realize it's not just obedience alone, but God also calls us to respect. Jesus tells this parable in uh, Matthew, and this isn't the main point of the parable, but just listen to this as you just kind of paraphrase it. He says that this man had two sons. And he tells him, go out and work in the field. And the first son says, no, I'm not going to do it. And he leaves. Later on, he says, well, I should probably do it. And he does it. The second son says, okay, I'll go ahead and do it. But he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything. And he does not do the work that his dad has called him to do. See, the first one disrespected authority. And his initial thing was to buck against authority. He disrespected authority. But later on, he obeyed it. The other son respected authority. It just wasn't a problem to show respect, but he didn't obey authority. So we need to do both. We need to respect and we need to obey authority. We need both hearts and action. And we must practice this if we are to do it. So what is God's authority like? What is God's authority? To understand God's authority, we need to understand God. And we need to understand what God is like in order to understand his authority. See, God is just. And God is perfect. And God has the full, complete right to demand perfection, demand accountability, 
demand obedience, to demand that we don't sin. But he's not this overbearing, unpredictable God who's ready to lash out whenever you make a mistake. Because God is love. And God is ready to forgive us time and time again. God is full of grace. He's full of patience. He's full of forgiveness. He is full of love. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to be leaders, he says, don't be like those who lord it over you, but be servants. Be loving. Be compassionate. If he tells his disciples to be like that, it's because he is like that. The band can come up as we finish here. Jesus is the ultimate authority. Jesus is the authority for your salvation. He's the authority for your day-to-day living. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. And my prayer is for you that we will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.